With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller, along with Steve Dace. And we're going to talk quite a bit about Jim Delaney, Big Ten Commissioner, this week, both in the HN Podcast as well uh, in the Bigger Ten Podcast. We'll talk about uh, what's next with the new commissioner. But Steve, before we dive into that, um, have a have a little uh, a topic with some some meat on the bone. Oliver Martin, Rob Howe of HawkeyeNation.com reporting on Monday that he um, learned from a source close to the situation that Oliver Martin, former Iowa City West standout and Michigan wide receiver, is going to transfer to Iowa. It was learned last week that he was leaving Michigan, entered his name into the transfer portal, immediately uh, visited Iowa. And Rob is saying that um, he is on the Iowa campus uh, Monday, which is today, Monday, June the 10th, as we record this. And then he'll officially join the team later this week. He was one of the most decorated preps to come out of Iowa in a few decades. One of. Uh, the most accomplished wide receiver in state history. Someone that I believe Michigan is really high on. And that's what makes this a, a question I want to pose to you because you're going to have a, a an interesting perspective because, you know, you obviously follow Michigan very, very closely. So maybe a multi-front analysis from you. A, was Michigan still high on Martin, still have him in their plans? B, what have you heard? as to the reasons why he left from your sources and the people you talked to in Michigan. Cause I know you talked to a number of them as you, as you publish a Michigan uh, website. Well, John, there's, there has been, you know, message board and, and social media chatter about him potentially tra- transferring for almost a year. It's kind of been off and on, off and on. Um, and it, it got really hot um, after this spring and, and about two weeks ago. And then what happened now, the proverb says one man's side of the story seems true until you hear the other side. Okay. So I'm just strictly telling you what Michigan's side of the story is. Right. I don't know how, I don't know how much of that is true or not. All right. But, um, what happened was uh, from the Michigan side of the story, is the guys went home after finals in early May. They're given about three to four weeks, and then they've got to be back on campus to start off-season workouts the first week of June. Um, and, and he came. He he um, came back, which was the first sign that he was kind of uh, still invested in uh, in Michigan. He came back for off-season workouts met with uh, Michigan's new offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, who he was there with him in the spring. Uh, Gaddis even tweeted out a photo of all of Michigan's wide receivers, I think at the Buffalo Wild Wings in Ann Arbor the first day they were back. Um, I w- Michigan says that uh, he crushed the first day of workouts, meaning he just killed it. He, w- his, he tested everything off the charts, and everything seemed fine. And then for the next two days, he did not show up. 
didn't answer any texts or many messages. And then on the third day, texted them all and said he was out. That's the Michigan side of things. Uh, how much of that is accurate or not? I, I, I don't know. And I really don't know how much it matters. Uh, right. Big time prospect uh, offered, uh, I think his three finalists were Iowa, Michigan, and Notre Dame uh, when he committed to Michigan. He was the recruit for people wondering that Jim Harbaugh took the dive uh, into the pool for, because I think he's a star swimming, swimmer too. Yes. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of Michigan people believe that he would stay this year and see what happens with the new offense and the new, and which is going to be a, a no huddle spread, no, um, or, or tempo uh, offense where Michigan is never going to be in a 12 personnel look or anything like what you saw before. Um, so a lot of people thought he's close to close enough to getting his degree that he would stay through this fall, um, see how it worked out, and then graduate where he wouldn't he could then he call all the shots and um, he wouldn't have to sit out and have two full years to play. I, Michigan was very surprised he elected to go th- this route. They believe they're told it's because he wants to play baseball, and if he leaves now, then he can play baseball for Iowa next year while he's sitting out in football. I'll be fascinated to see if that happens at Iowa because spring football and baseball overlap and he's got to learn an entirely new offense and everything else. I have no idea, you know, how much Kirk Ferentz wants a guy that, you know, given what Iowa's offensive personnel could look like next season, he could really be relied on as the linchpin of a receiving core or one of them. Um, I, I don't know if he wants him, you know, splitting time uh, playing baseball, but, you know, so be it. Michigan thought the world of him, worked hard. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Uh, Michigan has recruited. I was just reading my Lindy's preview before we started this. You know, Michigan's receiver units rate rated only behind Alabama and Clemson. You know, right now he would he would have been Michigan's. And I don't say this. He's a big time prospect. He's also a redshirt, you know, a redshirt sophomore. Michigan has recruited exceedingly well at this spot. Well, so, that's happened through time immemorial. I yes. Mean, yeah, and, and he would have been our fifth or sixth wide receiver, as good as he is. Now, next year, when it looks like you're probably going to have Nico Collins and, and Donovan Peoples-Jones go pro, and maybe Tariq Black, too, if he can stay healthy and put up numbers, you know, next year he could have been a starter. But um, they're also changing to a different style of offense, and he's kind of a tweener in our offense now in that he doesn't – you know, in the, in the spread offense, you're looking for your true NFL high point the ball guy on the on the ends, and you're looking for t- quick twitch guys in the slot. And this isn't he's white, so he's a possession receiver. This guy's really fast and a serious athlete, but he, he is not a quick twitch guy. So he's so he's not going to play in the slot for us. He's not quite big enough to play on the outside. So he's in a bit of a tweener position. For a spread offense, he's more, you know, um, uh, he's more suited to a traditional pro style of offense, which is the one that he's going to. So, God bless him. Hope it works out well. Yeah, I think that uh, is all very well said. All very well said. All right, let's let's jump into. And Iowa, of course, can use receivers. And you know, I, I saw something on Twitter, um, and I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to bring it up because there's a lot of Iowa fans. I shouldn't say a lot because Twitter is over amplified and that doesn't stand for everyone. 
there's a number of people that are like, well, you didn't want to come here the first time. Why would we want him back? Well, hey, that's stupid. Um, and, and number two, Jason DeWitt on Twitter, I thought, made a great post. said, everyone forgets that Greg Davis was Iowa's offensive coordinator when he was being recruited, and nobody in their right mind should have come to Iowa then. And that's a little snarky, but it's 100% true. I was calling Iowa I, – I even – I think when Oliver Martin did commit to Michigan, we did a podcast, and I remember saying, why would any wide receiver of mm-hmm. no want to go to Iowa? Because all you do is run horizontal routes and or wind sprints, and you don't get the ball. It just poison. It was poison during Greg Davis. So I don't begrudge him at all. For whatever reason he wants to come home, that's fine. As Rob Howe wrote in his story today, you're not likely to learn about this being official until Iowa sends out a release. You're not going to see it from the kid. He's just not wired that way. Caught 11 catches for 125 yards and a touchdown last season uh, for Michigan. So let's move on. Um, Jim Delaney, we've known for a while that he was his, his time as Big Ten commissioner is coming to an end. Uh, and since we've last recorded, the Big Ten has named his replacement. He's Kevin Warren. We'll talk more about him in the Bigger Ten podcast. But for the rest of this podcast, I want to talk about Jim Delaney's legacy. And you found um, you, you found some interesting items that we're going to discuss. Yeah, my partner at Wolverine Digest, Michael Spath, who hosts uh, the da- a daily show on uh, WTKA in Ann Arbor, that's the flagship station of the University of Michigan's um, statewide or nationwide radio network. Uh, he came up with a list of questions for his show uh, where, you know, they discussed Jim Delaney's legacy in the Big Ten. And I thought they were uh, some serious uh, conversation pieces. They're all true and false. I thought it was something definitely you and I should spend some time going through these and giving our own takes. Okay, so these four that we're going to talk about is are you are you saying that these are the uh, the top legacies or just things that you think are on his tombstone? First line items on tombstone. Second, I mean, can we? Yes, would be my answer to your questions. Okay, yes. all right, all right. There you go. All right, let's go to the first one then. Jim Jim Delaney's decision to add Nebraska to the Big Ten was a success. Clearly, that was. That will absolutely be, you know, the first three paragraphs because of, you know, the history and tradition of Nebraska, uh, one of the biggest brands in the history of the sport, uh, maybe not as of late, but still a very, very big brand, a, a, a program that sold out hundreds of games in a row, rabid fan support, one of the winningest teams in history. I think that that absolutely, well, I, th- I think it's successful. And, I, I mean, if we're going to compare it to the addition of Rutgers and Maryland, it's a home run. Uh, Nebraska's football team hasn't been great, but that hasn't had anything to do with Jim Delaney bringing them in or them being in the Big Ten. That has to do with an athletic director that made um, a bad hire. Uh, that has to do with Prider there coming in. You know, Bo Pelini was a, a, a pretty volatile guy. He averaged nine wins a season, but, you know, he did so 
in a way that made some people squeamish because of his personality. And now they have Scott Frost, who I think we both feel is going to do good things, who's I think he'll be more successful than Pelini, but we got to see it first. So I think bringing Nebraska to the Big Ten is a success. It's a long-term play, but I think it will be seen to be a success. You and I are going to differ greatly on this one, and probably on, on one of the next ones, too, based on what you just said. I, I, I think based right now, it's unquestionably false. I don't even think it's debatable. And, and now I think it could be true five or ten years from now. I love that take. I just got done talking for three minutes, and you said I don't even think it's debatable. <laughs> I, did that. I did that to you on purpose because I know how much you like I, it. I, I, I thought you did. Yeah. <laughs> no, but here, here I do think – I do strongly believe it's false. Here's why. They don't add anything. Rutgers and Maryland are far more valuable to the Big Ten than Nebraska, and it's really not even close. Uh, now, that could change, but they, 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 you know, and, and volleyball, none, none of that matters. Um, it's, it's, seven, it's 85% football and 15, 14% men's basketball and 1% or less everything else. No, let me rephrase that. It's, it's 80% because basketball matters a lot in the Big Ten. It's 80% football. It's 19.9% men's basketball. And it's 0.1% everything else. They don't add anything in men's basketball. That may change. We don't know. You know, who knows what Fred Hoiberg will do there. We're still talking about a school that I don't believe has ever won an NCAA tournament game. Um, they, all the, the, the 0.1 is irrelevant. And in football, they're irrelevant. Now, I think there's a high likelihood that will change. But you water down your academic standards to let them in. You know, when you and I did all of our shows during the first round of, of, um, of, of expansion and relocations 10 years ago, I, I thought it was, you know, as true as gravity that Rutgers, I think I gave three, school, or three schools, Rutgers, Maryland, and, um, and Missouri would be in the Big Ten, if my memory serves. And the reason yes. why is the reason why is those three schools represent the only major population centers uh, from the mount in, from the central time zone to the eastern time zone uh, on this side of the geographic footprint that the Big Ten doesn't have its hands on Kansas City and St. Louis for Missouri. And then, of course, the DMV, New York, New Jersey, the tri-state area, Connecticut for the Big Ten. Or, I'm sorry, for the uh, for the East Coast. And I got two out of three. Nebraska was the selection over Missouri. And, you know, you know the Kansas City market better than I do, having done, you know, daily broadcasting in it. So I would assume they have some foothold there. But the reality is Missouri has been, uh, has been, has been far superior to Nebraska. And, they, and since this round of expansion kicked in in 2011, they've been a real threat in the SEC. They've made the conference championship game twice. They've been nationally rated multiple times. Um, right now, I have them, my numbers have them going like nine and three this fall in football in the SEC, despite a bull ban. So it's always tough to project. Now, they may get win that back on appeal. I don't know. But it's always tough to project teams with postseason bans. You know, sometimes they bandy together. Sometimes they kind of quit on each other. And now you throw in this new era where if I'm not playing in the New Year's Six, I'm not playing in the game. So who knows really what, if any, impact that'll have on 
Missouri's team this fall if they don't win their appeal from the NCAA. But they have been, uh, they've always been a better basketball program than Nebraska. I mean, Missouri is probably the best historical basketball program that's never made a Final Four. So um, they're clearly better in basketball. And that's after going through one of their rougher stretches in recent years in basketball. They have been overwhelmingly better in football during this span while playing in the SEC. Um, and you would have you would have locked down that I-70 corridor of Kansas City and St. Louis uh, that Nebraska gives you a foothold in but does, does not lock down for you. So I think Missouri would have clearly been the better play. Academically, they're about where Nebraska is. So you're lowering your standards uh, from what you want to do in the Big Ten to bring either one of them in. But, um, you know, I would have never predicted this seven years or eight years ago when this happened, but the, the numbers are what they are. Nebraska has been a major drain on the league. Uh, Travel-wise, they don't have a partner other than Iowa. They don't have a recruiting base in our conference. Um, so hopefully Scott Frost can, can change a lot of that. There's early evidence that that's true. He's already, though, suffered some serious attrition. You know, last year they went 4-8, and eight, and it's been dressed up as the greatest 4-8 in the entire, since Princeton and Rutgers kicked off in 1869. It's the greatest 4-8 of all time. You've never seen a 4-8 like this before. You're going to get so tired of all the 4-8s. Well, you know what I'm doing, so we'll just move on. But, but we'll see. You know, I, I'm, I'm optimistic they'll be better, but they have been a drain on the league so far. So, so far, I think it's a false. Well, TV numbers-wise, I think Nebraska is at. I, I think Nebraska is probably a bigger is a bigger draw than Iowa. Um, looking at last year's ratings on some sampled games, the Iowa Nebraska game was two point one, so you can't say one way or another. Um, they had a common opponent, several. Uh, the Northwestern game, Nebraska had a 1.7 rating. That game had a 1.7 rating. And Iowa's game against Northwestern had a 1.6. Now, I can't remember if one of those was primetime or not. I don't think Iowa's was. Um, well, I mean, Nebraska had a 2.1 rating, in, again, with called the Colorado game. That was a mid-afternoon game early in the season. Um, Iowa had a 2 rating with Wisconsin. I don't and have Boulder, that Boulder is basically a suburb of Denver. Well, it's like an hour away. Right. That's a major television market that you bring in with that game. So. Right. You know, Iowa had some one eights and one sixes. Nebraska had a one six for Michigan State, a three one with Ohio State, but Ohio State is the sun. Um, that's all. I mean, the Buckeyes are one of the two, three best TV draws there is in the sport. Yeah, you bring Nebraska uh, in. You don't. You don't look at their numbers when they play Penn State, Michigan, or Ohio State, or even maybe even a Michigan State as well nowadays. You bring in Nebraska in because you're trying to lift the numbers for when they play Purdue. You're right, and, and look and looking at that, I, I don't I don't see that they've lifted those. So, like last week when you acquiesced at a certain juncture and gave me a victory, mm-hmm. um, this is very easy for me to pull the ripcord on anything that potentially puts Nebraska in a positive light. So I'm going to say I'm wrong, and you're right. Um, as of right now, maybe not as maybe maybe that's not true. And if there's Nebraska fans listening, five years from now, we may revisit this with the coaching hires they've made the last two years and have a totally different take, okay? But based yeah. on the first eight years, there is no question that Nebraska has been dead weight, period. See, I could spin here and say, well, I was really talking about where I think they're going. 
which probably at the subconscious level is true because that's I true too. Yeah. More at more the conscious level, I did say that about Frost. However, I don't know that that's the question. Delaney's decision to add Nebraska to the Big Ten was a success. At best, at best, it's incomplete. At best, it's incomplete. It's not true. So I'll give you that one. All right, move on to the next one. Um, true, false. Jim Delaney's addition of Maryland at Rutgers to the Big Ten was a success. And yes, we probably will deliver. Um, we probably will differ here. I okay, man. I hate doing this, and let the record be said that it's John Miller and not Steve Dace doing this. I think that America's current president has actually done things. If I didn't have, if, if all I did was look at some of the policies and some of the, some results, there's some things I actually like, but I don't like the message. I don't like the lack of respect for the office and how other countries around the world view us. And again, I get that there's some people out there that don't give a damn about that, that they would rather have someone that's being, you know, plain speaking and maybe not just a politician wrapping truths around colorful words, whatever. You can have that. Or, that's just my way of saying I don't like the crap burger that goes along with some things I do like. I don't like the disrespect. And with Rutgers, I don't like the the crap that gets on everybody else's shoes that they've brought to the league off the court or off the field. Um, I get the fact well, I'm not even going to call it a fact. I, I get the notion that it was done because to get the Big Ten network in more cable systems in that footprint and more homes because that means more revenue. And when you look at what the Big Ten paid out to each member of institution in 2018, what was it, Steve? $54 million, Something like yes. that? Yes. Yes. $50 million. Yes. And Maryland there with D.C. in that? In that regard – knowing that those were the reasons why those schools were brought in because that was the era that we were in six, seven years ago. Basing it solely on the rationale to bring them in, it probably is a, it's a financial success, absolutely. And being that that's what he's there for, you probably have to say that it has been a success. Now, the era that we're going to, I don't think that they're I, I think six years from now, when most everything is on demand, it's all a cart and you're gonna watch the Big Ten network um via your internet connection and not on a you know a, a packaged cable bundle or a packaged satellite bundle, then it's absolutely a failure. But for right now, it's successful based on the premise of why they were brought in. Um, I think I, I think this has been a resounding success. Um, I'm one of those people that I totally get the analogy you're making. It's a really good one. In the end, if I have to make a decision between uh, I like you, but your results stuck, or you annoy the hell out of me and, I, and force me to ignore you most days, but I, I'm fine with the bottom line results, I'm always going to choose the latter. I, I'm just wired that way. Um, and right. probably because I, I didn't have probably because, you know, when you grow up in a family where you're playing, um, um, you know, is what mood is dad in tonight? Are we going yeah. to are we going to Sizzler or are we getting sizzled? You learn real quick that you can you can get through a, 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 you know, how to get by in life 
without a lot of attaboys and warm fuzzies, you know, and that's just the way that I'm wired. But I think your analogy that you drew is, is a really good one to make your point. But then there's the bottom line of, of the other side. And the reality is I'm going to start with Rutgers. Rutgers is perfect. Here's why they, they bring in a, they, there's only, well, Rutgers and Maryland together, although Maryland is pretty competitive. It, it won the league's last national championship. It's a nationally renowned program in basketball. I think if I were the league, uh, if I were the Big Ten, and we'll get into this in the Bigger Ten thing, Maryland is one of the major reasons why I would drop divisions. Because they're recruiting well there, and there's enough talent there that if you didn't force them to play four of the top teams in the Big Ten every single year, before they're, you know, knowing they've got four losses before the season ever begins, you could really develop something. And that's a program that has, you know, went to BCS Bowls under Ralph Friedgen, finished in the top 10, when, you know, um, when, um, uh, when, you know, when in the 1980s, when they had Boomer Esiason and Frank Reich, former, you know, future NFL stars at quarterback. So that's a program that has been nationally relevant before. And in earlier eras, they were one of Penn State's primary competitors for supremacy in the East when they used to play for the old, uh, you know, trophy out there. So, um, I, you know, and then Rutgers and Maryland both represent the only two regions in the Big Ten's primary footprint that are growing demographically. And so what you're getting in the case of Rutgers is you're opening up a major recruiting corridor for this conference, which is draining population everywhere else. You open up a major recruiting corridor and um, you do it without the expense of adding another prime uh, competitor that uh, might cause a Michigan or a Penn State to instead of being nine and three and ten and two every year, nine and three and eight and four. And in Ohio State, instead of being an eleven and one, ten and two every year, you know, um, a ten and two, nine and three. That's a perfect scenario. Absolutely perfect. You are you are not forcing your elite brands to compete with something that's not a big brand. At the same time, you're opening up demographics from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, go mm -hmm. look at Michigan. Go look at Michigan's. Uh, you know, go to the twenty four seven website. Look at their crystal balls. Look at the guys they already have committed. Look at their top targets and go count how many guys in there are Maryland and New Jersey. We're going to, I'm, I'm, by the time this class is signed in December, 70% of these guys are going to be from Maryland or New Jersey. That's so crazy. I, I, I think that's a perfect scenario for the league. Um, I agree that the off field issues have been a problem, but you know what? It's still not, Hey, my coach looked the other way when his assistant was beating his wife and when he was getting blowjobs from the administrative assistants, filming them, sharing them with people, and then was getting mail order sex catalogs delivered at the Woody Hayes building. Ain't problems like that. I'll tell you that much. You know what I'm saying, bro? Ain't like that. So, you know, there's that. You know, it's not Michigan State and Ohio State with Olympic sports physicians molesting kids for 40 years. It ain't Jerry Sandusky. It's terrible. It's ugly. But it's nothing compared to what some of the legacy programs in this league have put this league and, and, it, and its reputation through in recent years. So Rutgers just wants a check. Rutgers is just like, dude, you can come in here and raid our state. We just, we just got to keep the lights on. Beautiful. We love that. Now, in the future, with the, with the way things, the, the way the business model may or may not change, um, I think you're on to something. 
But I think we're not done with expansion and those sorts of things when we get to that era because of that at the same time. But that's a topic for another day. So far, Maryland and Rutgers. And I've got 54 times, uh, well, only uh, 11. Because Rutgers, Maryland, and Nebraska aren't getting full share checks yet. I think that doesn't start till next year. So I've got 54 times 11, uh, whatever that number is, million reasons why Rutgers and Maryland have been phenomenal additions to the league. They've been almost perfect. Those were genius strokes by Jim Delaney. And one thing when we do, one thing about Jim Delaney, I'll say, when he makes mistakes, here's what I love about Delaney. When he has made mistakes, it's always been on the side of being aggressive. Right. He's, he's always been go big or go home. And, you know, fortune favors the bold. And so because even when he's made poor decisions, it's been uh, on the side of going big or going home, he's going to go down as arguably the most influential administrator post-World War II college sports history. Indeed. Indeed. Um, let's go to the next one. Jim Delaney's creation of Big Ten hockey, uh, creation of a Big Ten hockey conference was a success. Now, Iowa doesn't have it. I've seen a lot of Iowa fans clamoring for it. Um, I was a hockey fan in the very early 80s when the Edmonton Oilers had Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Grant Fuhrer. Um, I, can't, I can't remember if Coffee was on that team or not. It, it was a powerhouse team, powerhouse team. Since then, I've not really watched hockey all that much, with the exception of the Peoria Riverman, the year that I was working for an NBC affiliate there and had to go film them all the time. But um, I know that Wisconsin just bangs out the attendance for hockey. Minnesota's got a great tradition and legacy of hockey. I don't even know how many hockey teams are in the conference, how many schools have it. I can't speak to whether or not it's a success because – as you mentioned early on, football is the primary bell cow of revenue. Then it's basketball. It's a distant second. And, I mean, Iowa wrestling averages over 8,000 people per home meet. And I don't even know if they're in the black financially. So is, is this a success? Um, d- does the Big Ten need more television programming in the wintertime? when it is clearly the premier basketball conference in the country with the tenants, I don't know that it does. So, I mean, I don't know that it's success. I mean, I'd say, you know, false. I mean, has it really moved the needle? I don't know. Are you, you going to drop my pants again and tell me why I'm wrong? No, I think you're right. So far it's been false. Now I think this could change if you can get Illinois, Iowa, See, here's the problem with the, with the move to Big Ten hockey. And you have Notre Dame in the Big Ten Hockey League, too. That so pisses me did, off on its face. Yes, it does. I'm with you. Uh, you know my position. I have the Bo Schembechler position. To hell with Notre Dame. You want to play Big Ten teams, join the league. <laughs> That's my opinion. Okay? So that sounded, but, that sounded a lot like Bino Cook. Yeah, I've only that's my one voice for old days. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what they did with the formation of the Big Ten Hockey League, what they did is they essentially took the best programs from the old WCHA. Minnesota was in Wisconsin. We're in that league. Uh, and, and, and then they took the best teams from the old CCHA. Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame were in that league. You know, now you have Penn, Ohio State was in that league. Now Penn State's playing hockey. 
So you took the best from two conferences, put them in one. And now since the vast majority of your schedule are those leagues, what you did is, you know, for me growing up in Michigan, where hockey is to Michigan, what wrestling is to Iowans, you know, and, and Lake Superior, playing Michigan Tech and Ferris State and Lake Superior State, those games mattered. I mean, there were years Lake Superior State was a national champion in hockey. Michigan has more national championships in hockey than any other program. Uh, Michigan State's Ron Mason is considered like the, you know, the, and he's their former AD at Michigan State. He's, he's considered like the Dean Smith, if you will, of college hockey coaches. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of tradition in my old home state. So what we did is we took the best teams from these two leagues. Well, Steve, that's great. We created a super conference. You're right. Here's what we also did. There's a limited, we did, it's the same amount of teams getting into the NCAA tournament. And so what happens is these teams play each other all year and just freaking crush each other. And now, we're, and now what you're seeing is we're getting fewer bids from this conference into the tournament than ever before. And it's because you took the best from the WCHA and the CCHA, put them in one league, and, we, and there's not been expansion of the NCAA tournament. And so, there are, I mean, it's, it's the SEC West every night now. You know, these, these guys are just getting destroyed. So I, I think if you could create more teams – so that you have more of a middle to lower class where there are games against your Rutgers and Illinois to, to build your resume and more of those in a given year. Um, then I think, and if the and if television wise, they really invested in it, I think it could really take off. Here's why I'm dubious they'll ever do that though. Um, the big 10 uh, it's basketball production is top notch. You know, I, I bitch and moan every football season about how the SEC has the vastly superior television product. But when it comes to basketball, the Big Ten just absolutely kills it. And they've got so much invested in that. It's, it's, it's clearly a revenue sport. So many more teams are competitive. The entire league footprint is involved that I don't know that they'll ever truly, and, and I don't know that I'd even advise them to do that as a hockey guy. I don't even know that I'd advise them to do that because every moment you take away from men's basketball is a loss leader that time of year. So that so that's why I wish they would have just left it the way it was, left it regionalized the way that it was. If they if only form this league, if you're truly going to put the full weight of the Big Ten network behind it, because here and this goes back to the Maryland Rutgers conversation. The Big Ten isn't a conference anymore. It's a television network. It's not a conference creating content for a tell. It's not a television network that televises the content of a conference. It's a conference that creates content for a television network. The network. The, the conference is not driving the network. The network is driving the conference. And so if, if you're not going to use the, the, the full power of, of, of this operational battle station known as the Big Ten Network to just own the hockey, collegiate hockey space, then taking all of those teams from those two leagues and putting them together to beat each other up really hurt, your, hurt those programs' ability uh, to get more national uh, prominence and standing. Because it's not like baseball. Well, Steve, look at college baseball with all the Pac-12 and all the SEC teams. Well, in those leagues, every team in those conferences play. And, not, and also 64 teams get into the NCAA baseball tournament. Hockey is still a pretty intimate sport, right? So what you did is you, is you just put strength on strength, and now they're beating each other up too much and not getting rewarded by the college hockey selection process. So if you weren't going to go all in with the Big Ten Network and make it a centerpiece issue, and I understand why you wouldn't because how much of men's basketball matters, then they should have just left it the way that it was. I will say that if Iowa did have a hockey team, I would likely watch. I would. 
Um, and Iowa with that Coralville Arena coming online, if you will, that who knows if there'll be some traction there, a nice intimate space uh, that's off, you know, that's not going to take away dates, scheduling dates from the men's and women's basketball teams and wrestling. Mm-hmm. That is that that is the the chance I think they have. All right. The last one here. Jim Delaney's career as Big Ten commissioner was more good than bad. I would say that is absolutely true. No question. And, and the best thing I can say about him now, I do think it was time for a change because everything structurally the league needs, he has pretty much put in place. And so now you're in a position where you're now moving beyond laying groundwork and fundamentals. The, the wall, he's the Nehemiah. He rebuilt the wall. All right. The foundation is secure. And now it requires some politicking. Now that your foundation is solid and secure, now you've got a politic. Now you've got a bully pulpit. And those are areas Jim Delaney's never been comfortable. Uh, you want, I mean, the most boring one hour every year in the Big Ten is his address and Q&A session at uh, Big Ten Football Media Days. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's like getting a, you know, getting a lecture from the, uh, the, the monotone, uh, you know, ben, um, ben Stein monotone teacher from the Wonder Years. All right. He, he's not comfortable in that area at all. And that's OK. You know, he's much more comfortable, you know, being the godfather behind the scenes, making offers you can't refuse. And even though he didn't bat a thousand, no one does. Even when he failed, it was to go big or go home. And so, you know, I respect that. But now we're at a time now where you're dealing with highly subjective processes now because you're no longer laying the foundation for you to compete with the rest of the the landscape. That foundation has been laid. And so now you need to compete with the rest of the landscape. And that's going to require bully pulpit usage. We'll get into that in the Bigger Ten podcast. And I don't think he's equipped for that. He's, he's a man out of time for that. He's from another age. And so he's stepping down at the right time, maybe even a year or two uh, later than he should have. But in terms of what he did here and the foundation he laid, the innovation, um, the aggression, you know, even things we didn't talk about. He brought instant replay to college sports, for example. Uh, there is no question whatsoever. I'm not saying he's the most important and innovative administrator in the last half century of, of college sports. I just can't think of anyone that's more so. Do not disagree. I do not disagree. And all that is very well said. So that is where we'll stop this installment of the HN podcast for Steve. I'm John. We'll talk to you next time.